0: Welcome to the Wisdom of the Womb podcast, your home for mind, body, and soul wellness for women. My name is Stephanie Adler. I'm a certified nutrition consultant, birth doula, and women's hormone and fertility expert. I've supported hundreds of women in having healthy cycles, healthy babies, and building a balanced foundation in their bodies and minds to set them up for a limitless life. Now it's your turn. I believe a woman reaches her full potential when she trusts the innate wisdom of her body, and that those women change the world. So if you're wanting to achieve hormone harmony, have boundless energy, optimize your fertility, live a holistically healthy life, and learn how to love and trust your body to become the well woman you know you are meant to be, you're in the right place. Join me for weekly wisdom on topics such as holistic hormone and gut health, fertility, mindfulness, birth, pregnancy, and beyond, and leave with actionable steps towards well womanhood. Thanks for pressing play today. I'm so excited for the magic we're going to create together. Let's dive in. Podcast family. I wanted to quickly pop in here before the episode to let you know that we actually have included a link in the show notes to a gallery of photos from the birth and a video montage where you can see from the beginning when my water breaks all the way until Ohio is born and even a little bit of the after. So Head over to that link in the show notes. If you want to check out some videos and photos of this story that you're about to hear. Hi, podcast family. Wow. I feels so good to be back. This is the first podcast I've recorded since the birth of my son. Um, and so, yeah, it feels very appropriate for it to be the episode where I share our birth story. And before we jump into the juicy goodness of this birth story, I want to remind everyone who is desiring to have a baby anytime in the next year or so that I have a free masterclass where I share some common mistakes. I see so many of my clients and women in general making when it comes to fertility. So if you haven't watched the masterclass yet, make sure to check out the link in the show notes for the free fertility masterclass. Additionally, if you have been wanting to work with me in my private coaching container to heal and learn to trust your body, balance your hormones, improve your fertility, get pregnant, heal your gut, majorly shift your mindset overall, and become the most well version of yourself, the waitlist for VIP coaching is open. See the link in the show notes. Now that I am going to be mama-ing. Uh, regularly. (laughs) I'm cutting back on my private practice client load by about half. So if you're interested in working together in 2023, make sure to apply for that now. So when I start working with clients again in the fall, you are one of the first to get an opportunity to take one of those spots when the waitlist opens up. So um, I also really quickly want to give a quick, but important shout out to crowd health. This is not sponsored in any way. I'm just insanely grateful for this company. Home is almost never covered by insurance, by health insurance. And I could do a whole other podcast on how the health insurance industry is just evil. Uh, but we're going to stay super positive today. And I'm just going to send some love to the crowd. I've been using crowd health as an alternative to health insurance for a year and I'm obsessed with it. And so grateful that the crowd supports my decision to birth the way that I desire. And um, so if you want to learn more about crowd health, see the link in the show notes, and maybe even join me inside the crowd. And I would love to have us all be supporting each other's health. So, now that we've gotten all the housekeeping out of the way, I'm so excited to jump into the birth story for Ohai, my son. His name is Ohai, and um, spelled O J A I, phonetically Ohai. And yeah, this is his birth story. So, May 30th was my due date, it is also my wedding anniversary. And this year, May 30th was the Tuesday after Memorial day. So we spent the long weekend hiking, seeing friends and overall just really enjoying our time. I think Danny and I could both feel like the window of my pregnancy was coming to a close, but also knew that the average first time mom goes a week late. My mom had me a week late, you know, so so we were really also fully mentally prepared to go another week or even two more weeks to 42 weeks. But that said, we went out to a special dinner for our anniversary on the Saturday night of that Memorial Day weekend. Had a great meal. Shout out to Uchi in Denver for being the best and quite possibly the only vibey restaurant I truly love in the city. And afterwards, we were when we were leaving the restaurant, I looked at Danny and I just had this feeling and I looked at him and I said I feel ready up until that point. Well, I would have, of course, welcomed our son with every part of my being. I don't think I felt complete with the final days of our two person family, you know, our, our, the life that we were living as Danny and Stephanie for the past eight years. I don't think I felt complete with that until that moment. Like as we were leaving the restaurant, I felt like I had, I felt complete and, you know, it had nothing to do with having a nursery ready spoiler alert. We don't have one (laughs) or anything other than I I felt like I was truly ready to make this shift from maidenhood to motherhood. And, you know, Danny looked at me and he said that he felt complete too. And I I truly feel like our son was like, okay, I heard (laughs) y'all. And so three days later, Um, I was at 40 weeks. So it was my due date and I was supposed to go to my midwife's house. Hi, Geneva. If you haven't listened to our shared episode about birth home birth, it's amazing. I highly recommend you go check it out. They texted me in the morning. and could she come to me instead? I was like, of course. Yeah. So around 12, she came over, we had a nice appointment. We spoke about the usual things, checked my blood pressure, you know, the usual, and, you know, we kind of confirmed what the next week or two would look like, depending on what happened. Um, she palpated my belly and confirmed that he was still fully OP. So in a posterior position, which means that his back was facing my back. And that is not the optimal position for most babies to be born. Typically we want the back facing their back, facing your front, facing your belly. And despite my best efforts for the past 12 weeks, doing all the things I was not leaning back when I was sitting down, I was going swimming. I was tilting on a, sitting on a tilted cushion in the car. I was doing the mile circuit, so many things to help this baby feel like it was safe for him to turn. He really just wanted to hang out in this posterior position. And I was a little disappointed when she said that, but not fully surprised because based on where I was feeling him kick, I just had a feeling that that's where he still was too. And I also still fully believed that he would either move positions when it was time or that I could birth a posterior baby. And I speak more about posterior, posterior, anterior positioning. in my preparing for birth podcast? So if you're curious to learn more, check out episode 21, but the high level is that the risk with posterior births is that they are sometimes longer, have more contractions or more intense or painful and often end in a higher cesarean rate that said, there are some pelvises who are you know, people who have pelvises that are truly best served by a posterior position, baby, it's like not the majority at all, but it is possible, you know? So I just really trusted that my baby was wise and he knew he was sub- how he was supposed to be born. And I just tried not to stress about it. And so probably around one 30, my midwife leaves my house at 3 PM. I go to the chiropractor for my weekly adjustment. I had been going weekly since, um, probably the the whole third trimester. And, uh, at the chiropractor, they have these little like wobble chairs that you're supposed to warm up in. Imagine a desk chair that has no back that tilts from front to back and side to side. And you're supposed to just kind of like warm up your spine, I guess, by sitting in them and doing a few movements before you get adjusted. So I sit in the wobble chair and I notice as I'm tilting that I have a contraction, which hadn't been that abnormal for me. I'd been having Braxton Hicks contractions from like 31 weeks, pretty consistently that said though, they had like majorly slowed down from about 38 to 39 weeks on. So I didn't really think anything of it. It was also really small, but I did notice that I had a contraction And so the chiropractor is like, okay, Stephanie, come on back. I lay down on my stomach. They have this little pillow, you know, so that my belly has somewhere to go. So I lay down in my stomach on this pillow and I get half of my adjustment. And then my Cairo asked me to turn over to my back. And as I do, as I'm like laying on my back, you know, laying down on my back, I feel a warm liquid, like leaking out of me. And my first thought was maybe that I peed my pants. This had happened a few times in the late days of pregnancy, but then I felt more coming and I was like, okay, I know I'm not peeing, but maybe it's cervical mucus because in the late second, early third trimester, I had been having really gushy cervical mucus, you know, like going through my underwear for sure. But something about this did feel a little bit different. And I, and the Cairo could see some confusion on my face. And she asked if I was okay. Okay. And I looked up at her and I said, ah, I'm not sure either my water just broke or it's a lot of cervical mucus, not really sure, but I'm just going to go to the bathroom. And she had this shell shocked face, you know, wide eyes and said, oh, I'm sure it's just mucus. I wonder in hindsight, I think maybe she was like worried that she caused it or something. I don't know. And you know, so she's like, I'm sure it's just mucus. And then I stood up and I felt a huge gush and I just knew it was my water breaking. And so I went to the bathroom, checked to make sure the fluid was clear, wiped, had a little bit of bloody show, just the spot of pink. I made myself a toilet paper pad. If you know, you know, it was soaked through in 0.5 seconds though. So it was pretty pointless. And I went back to where my adjustment was. I told her it was hundred percent, my water breaking. And I asked if we should finish the adjustment. We did. She gave me a little towel so that when I got to the car, it wouldn't soak through my seats. And then I waddled my way out of there. All the women at the front desk were like wishing me luck. It was, it was so funny. I was just so soaked through. And it's just so ironic because I obviously love talking about birth and educating people. And a really huge misconception that people often have is that labor starts with your water breaking because that really only happens 10% of the time. And I've said that to people so much, you know, like really labor doesn't typically start like that. And so it was just kind of funny that it happened to me. That was the first sign of my water. You know, my water breaking was the first sign of labor. Also, typically when your water breaks it's often a slow trickle, not a big gush like they show in movies on the media, but mine was very dramatically fashioned movie style, big gush everywhere, first sign of labor starting, etc. cetera. And it also was my due date, which I'll talk about in a second. So when I got in the car, I called Danny and I told him my water broke. He was really shocked, excited. I think, he, you know, I'm trying to remember exactly what he said. I think he was like, really? Oh my God, here we go. You know, just like getting really pumped. I told him I'd be home in a few minutes. And then I called my wife. She answered the phone and was like, Hey, what's up? You know, just because I had seen her two hours before. And I said, my water just broke. And I remember her saying, are you serious? Like kind of like a, no way. And I was like, yeah, you know, and it was just funny because I had been with her two hours before and we were talking about how it was very likely I could go for another week or two. The average first time mom also, you know, I said it was my due date, a funny, another little funny anomaly statistic is only 10% of babies are due or born on their due dates. And You know, now this was already 3.30 p.m. So it was unlikely he would be born before midnight. And spoiler alert, he wasn't. Um, But I still went into labor naturally, spontaneously on my due date, which is pretty rare and wild. So she and I talked, I told her I wasn't really having, you know, any serious contractions yet. She suggested I either go home and rest or do some mile circuits to help get the baby in optimal position and help get labor started. If you don't know what the mile circuit is highly recommend Googling it. It's just a, um, combination of different movements that you do to help position baby in a positive way and help with labor. So I went home, I changed my clothes. I contacted my doula, not before having several major gushes all over the floor. It was crazy. I was just like, how is there so much water coming out of me? And don't worry. My clean freak husband was on top of it and was cleaning up after me. And I remember going through a few pads pretty quickly and knowing I could be in labor for a long time and thinking I'm going to run out of my postpartum pads before labor's over. And also I knew I wouldn't really want to be laboring in a pad for hours. It's not that comfortable wearing a pad. It did end up slowing down quite a bit in about an hour. Um, One thing also a lot of people don't know is that you continue to make more amniotic fluid. So you keep making more, but it did slow down to a pretty slow trickle after about an hour. So I changed my clothes, got padded up. Danny started notifying people at work that he was going offline. I think he worked through the end of the day. It was a Wednesday and we had really decided not to tell anyone in terms of family or friends when I went into labor, because we wanted to be fully present as well as not have other people's ideas about birth coming into our space. So probably about an hour and a half after my water broke, I felt the most baby of contractions again, but decided to go and sit with my birth altar. I lit the candle that had been lit for my belly blessing with a few of my friends present a few weeks prior. And I was supposed to only light that candle again when I was in labor and I meditated and prayed and connected with baby. And I sat with the gifts that the women in my life that I knew were there for me. In spirit and energy, I sat with those gifts and I, I prayed for a beautiful and easy birth. And I talked to baby and I, you know, kind of just had some moments of connection with him. I really want to give a shout out to my belly blessing friends for blessing me with the beads that sat on my altar, my sister and the other friends with their artwork and a soulmate client who gifted me a red sash that she has historically used for protection that I brought with me into my birth space. And then I taped up the labor affirmation cards. I had been drawing in my bedroom and in my bathroom. I placed some candles around the bathtub and in my, um, and in my bedroom as well. I never ended up actually using any of the candles except for the one that was from the belly blessing, but the affirmation cards were super, super helpful. And I'm really glad I decided to write them and then also hang them up. And then I did a mile circuit, and Danny helped me get set up for it. And I had a few very basic contractions, but nothing I couldn't talk or walk through. And they weren't super consistent. So Danny made some tacos. We ate an early dinner. I checked in with my midwife again, probably around 7 or six forty-five, And I, I told her I was very, you know, very much still in early labor. Uh, we made a plan for what would happen if I had not gone into active labor labor by the morning, then we could maybe do a castor oil brew at that point. And so it's probably about 7 p.m. at this point. And something Danny and I had talked about and contemplated for weeks was coming to decision time. And this was about whether or not I was going to take a Benadryl. So the biggest reason home birth moms transfer to the hospital is actually not for pain management or for an emergency, but for exhaustion. And so first time moms have this average labor of 24 hours. It could be way more though. And you know, that's just the average. So Danny and I were mentally prepared for me to be in labor for truly days. And the most important thing you can do in early labor is rest. There's so much anticipation, you know, so maybe you're a little bit nervous. You're so excited. It's, it's easier said than done to rest. So some, you know, midwives will recommend using something to help you get into a deeper sleep. Some recommend whiskey or wine. I know for me like that just wasn't going to to help me sleep well. If anything, I don't think it would help me very much at all. Um and some recommend Benadryl. And now I never take over the counter medication. Literally I t- I've taken one Tylenol in the past 10 years, but I thought that a Benadryl would be better, you know, than needing to transfer to the hospital for an epidural later on. If I could, you know, take a Benadryl, knock out, get some really good sleep, wake up really energized, that would be ideal. So around seven 30, I took a Benadryl hoping it would knock me out and I could get some really good sleep. Neither also just a little note, neither Danny nor I had slept well the day before I had just been up a lot during the night, kind of uncomfortable, just, you know, really pregnant. It, it was kind of hard to sleep. And so Neither Danny nor I had slept well. And so plot twist, Danny decides to take a Benadryl too, um, because he's too excited to sleep, especially considering it's not even eight o'clock and we need to, you know, get ready for bed. And so we get ready for bed, clean up a little bit around eight, we get into bed, go to sleep, but around eight 45, I wake up with a contraction. That's pretty strong and definitely making me feel like I need to poop now. I'm the kind of person that feels everything in my stomach. I'm coming up on drugs, immediate need to poop, really excited or nervous about something makes me feel like I need to poop period, you know, and when I've had period pain in the past always comes with the poop, the period poops. Um, and so I really had anticipated spending a lot of my labor on the toilet, but I was also surprised that it was coming so strong, so early, right. And I'm putting early in, you know, air quotes to that, but just because it felt really early and hadn't been that long, you know, it had been a few hours since my water broken for sure, but I wasn't having, you know, any sort of contractions before that. And it felt really strong. So, um, and coming through the Benadryl, right. I really expected to be passed out for hours. And here I am 45 minutes later, already needing to sit on the toilet. And I remember even texting my midwife around 10 or so 10 PM and her telling me, I really needed to find a way to relax into the contractions, rest, stay in bed and replying to her saying, I will literally poop the bed. I can't stay in bed. You know, I'm just pooping so much here. And she was, you know, she responded being like, fair, guess you can't stay in bed then. Um, but over the next hour and a half from that, like eight 45, I went from the toilet to my bed, trying and succeeding a little bit to sleep between the contractions, but they were already feeling pretty intense and around 10 ish. I I really felt like I couldn't stay in bed anymore. And so I went into the living room to labor by myself. Danny had been sleeping through me getting in and out of the bed. Thank you, Benadryl. And I didn't want to wake him in case this was going to be a really long journey. We had talked about letting him sleep until I really needed him so that he could show up for me, you know, in the best way possible. So I followed a similar pattern, but on the couch back and forth from the bathroom to the couch but was more and more feeling like I needed to move through these contractions. And so I would sway and stand up when the contractions came. I I did try laboring, you know, on the toilet facing the, the back of the toilet with my head on a pillow there, but I, but I was really feeling like I needed to get up and move through them. And at this time I was texting my doula and was feeling, you know, like she should maybe come over soon. (laughs) And she replied with some tips, but you know, said it might be a while and maybe we should all get some rest later. When we did our postpartum visit, she told me my birth was a really good reminder for her that when someone says they want support, that's when you go. And I really appreciated her saying that because it did have me doubting myself a little bit. You know, I was feeling it was like, it was really intense and like, I could use some support and, you know, her reply of like, this could probably go on for a long time. We should all get some rest made me feel like maybe I was feeling something too strong for what, where I was at. And maybe, you know, I, my, my head wasn't fully in the right place. I didn't think too much of it, but in hindsight, I remember being like, okay, like she's had, you know, four kids. She's been a doula for, you know, a long time. She knows better than I do. And I have a background in, you know, I did a birth doula training in 2017 and I practiced for a little bit and then, you know, COVID came around and I haven't been back. So it's been a while. And so I just kind of was like, okay, I'm going to defer to her, but um, you know, the other thing is, and I think this is kind of where she was coming from and also which was influencing my decision to be like, OK, um, is that we were timing. Of, I was timing a few contractions and I was saying they were really all over the place, which is why she and then Danny later both thought I was still really early on in labor. More on that soon. Um, and that also really influenced my decision to not say, okay, I need you now. So I finally got Danny up around midnight because I really felt like I couldn't labor on my own anymore. And he came out was very groggy. Thanks to the Benadryl. Um, he did start timing some contractions for me too, so we could keep track and they were really all over the place. I mean, I remember eight minutes, three minutes, then 13 minutes, every four minutes, and they were only lasting for about 30 to 45 seconds each. So very much not a normal labor pattern in any way. I, I, I did try having him help with some hip presses, but it really wasn't feeling good. And as I mentioned, he was still pretty loopy from the Benadryl. And so he was sleeping on the couch between me asking him him something or asking me, you know, asking him to help me with something. And there were a few times that I said, I really think we should call at least the doula or maybe even the midwife. This is really, really feeling intense but danny very much following the the labor rule felt like it was too early to call them and you know no one wants to be the person who calls too early so i wasn't presenting even close to a 411 which is, you know, four minutes apart lasting one minute each for one hour, which is, you know, when you're in active labor and you typically would call the midwife. So, you know, I wasn't anything close to that, but it was feeling really intense. And, you know, something I've reflected on since then is I could see it in Danny's face. You know, again, we had mentally prepared for this to go on for a really long time. I'm talking days, right? And because of that, I think that because he thought I was really early on still, he was kind of making a face. Like, I was like, this is really, really intense. And he was like, we're not calling anyone. It's too early. And I think I could see it in his face that he was worried, not like for my safety or anything, but, you know, I had a very, I really wanted to give birth at home and I, Have a pretty strong tolerance for intensity. Let's call it that way. I also have a strong pain tolerance, but a pretty strong tolerance for intensity. And I think, though, that Danny hasn't had too many opportunities to see it in that capacity. And I think he was worried, like, oh my gosh, if we are in for a really long journey and we're only a few hours in and she's already struggling this much with them, yikes, like we are not in for this experience in the way that she wants it. And I think I could see that in his eyes. And it wasn't that I was worried that he was right, but I just remember feeling like, why does, why does this feel so intense? And everyone else thinks I'm crazy. You know, like everyone else thinks it's too early for me to be feeling the way that I felt. So anyways, finally, you know, around 1am, I say, you know, okay, well, if we aren't calling the doula and the midwife, I at least need to do something different. Um, you know, I, I just couldn't keep laboring in the way that I was. And I really wanted to be in the water, but I know you're not supposed to get in the water too soon. So, and I felt like it was really soon because everyone was telling me it was. And so, um, I was like, I'm going to get in the shower. So around one, I get in the shower and These contractions were feeling so intense. And finally, I just said to him, you know, after being in the shower for a few minutes, call the doula, you know, I don't care if you think I'm wrong, but call the doula, tell her I need her her there now. And he did around 105. And I quickly started feeling right after we called her so much pressure in my butt. And I had two contractions really quick back to back that felt like they were never going to end. The other, you know, contractions have been about that 30, 45 seconds. I had two back to back right away after we called the doula that just felt, I, I don't know if we actually timed them, but they felt to me like they were lasting over a minute long, each one. And, and I got out of the shower and told Danny I needed to talk to the midwife now. And he called her. I got you know, I, at this point, I'm, You know, out of the shower, I'm starting to explain what I'm feeling and I have another one of these big contractions that that come and I can't stand up through it. And I'm on the bathroom floor on my hands and knees. I'm vocalizing, you know, making noises like, Oh, like grunting kind of, and telling her how much pressure I'm feeling on my butt and how the contractions, you know, very, very quickly in the last 15 minutes started feeling much longer. And she asked how long it was between these contractions, but I had already started having another one that she could hear me having on the phone. And I remember her saying, you know, her telling me that that pressure I was feeling was my baby and that while she would prefer for me to be there when I start pushing that, you know, I should listen to my body, but that she was on the way. And this was such a trip because I had no idea in my logical mind that I could be so you know, that I could be having such a strange labor pattern and that I could be so close. Like in some ways, I feel like I skipped over active labor because my labor pattern was so weird. And so I just, and everyone else, you know, my husband and my doula kept thinking I was in early labor. And even though it was feeling really intense, the the typical signs of active labor weren't there. And so I got into our bathtub at that point. At that point, I'm like, can I get in the bath? And, you know, I I figured if I was already going to start pushing, then yes, I could get in our bathtub. And so I got in the bathtub and within 15 minutes, the doula showed up. And I remember the first counter pressure she put on me feeling like magic, truly. It's so interesting how a trained hand, at least in my experience, could provide relief in a way that my husband just couldn't. You know, like he had been trying with the hip presses, et cetera, and it just wasn't helping. Um, and then within another about 10 minutes, my midwife showed up. We had a little chat. I can't remember about what. She probably checked the baby's heartbeat and said that she was going to call Sina, who was the other midwife who would be attending our birth, and tell her to come. And it was 1 45 a.m. at this point. And I was already in labor land. And things, you know, were coming in kind of fuzzy. But I do remember thinking if Cena is being called, then we're close because she's the second midwife. In Colorado, you need two midwives at a home birth by law. Kind of the way you can kind of think of it is like one for this is one midwife is one is for the mom and one is for the baby. And so the baby midwife is only called when the baby is really close to coming. So when you're pushing. And I really wanted to get in the blow up birth tub. And my bathtub is definitely big enough to have a baby in, but it was not comfortable for me to move around in the way that I wanted to, or like to lean up against. And I was feeling so pushy and so much pressure in my butt. I couldn't stop talking about how surprised I was that I was feeling it so much in my butt. The only way I can describe it is imagine the most constipated you've ever been times. 10 and trying to push it out, but getting nowhere is how I felt with every single action. I was also having crazy shakes, you know. And this was one of honestly, when I look back on it, the one of the most uncomfortable parts of labor for me because I was feeling so unstable. And you know, during the contractions, I had this like really intense sensation that I could focus on, but in between the contractions, I would shake so much. Like I was coming down from this huge adrenaline rush. And this lasted almost until I had my baby on and off. And, and I remember that feeling really, really intense, you know, and I, I think I was going through transition when those started and then they, they lasted while I was pushing a little bit, but it was really, really intense, those shakes. And additionally, I was really, I was having a lot of nausea, I never threw up, but I remember asking for a pot several, several times, you know, feeling like I was going to throw up, but not throwing up. So, Danny went and blew up the birth tub, which didn't take very long, but the next step, which is hooking it up to the shower and filling it with water felt like it took forever. I remember I kept asking how much longer until I can get in the birth tub. And everyone would just say soon, you know, soon, soon, but I could see in their faces, it was going to take some time. I don't remember how long it took, but I want to say probably around 30 minutes, maybe to fill up, which felt like a long time to me. And so finally the tub was filled up. I got in there and wow, I I really loved it in there. I labored in there for a while. And I remember my wife at some point asking if I wanted to change positions, maybe go on the toilet for a little bit. And, and she came with me over to the toilet and I remember her pulling the squatty potty out for my feet and sitting in front of me, you know, squatting in front of me. And that first contraction there felt truly insane, like so intense. And I was immediately, nope, I don't want to be here. (laughs) And she encouraged me to stay and that, you know, the first contraction in a new position is really hard. I can't remember how many I stayed there for, but it remained really intense and I wanted to move. And then we tried the bed. I actually forgot a lot about this, but we have video and pictures that have helped remind me. I was on the bed for a little while on my hands and knees and also on my side And I remember this, I do remember at at one point being on the bed and being on my hands and knees and really, you know, pushing and looking over at Danny, who was standing a few feet away from me, kind of like to the side and behind me and seeing his face with such a wide eyed, shocked expression and snapping at him and being, and saying that face is really not working for me. (laughs) which later we all had a really good laugh about that. There were two times where I had to tell him to take that face away. Um, And I'll just make a really quick here about Danny during the birth. First of all, he was amazing, very helpful, present, fully involved. And I think I had this vision of him being my main support person. I had thought maybe he would be in the tub with me when our baby was born, or that he would be there providing massage or words of affirmation really close to me the whole time. And that just wasn't the case. He was supporting the whole operation, so to speak. And I feel like he was definitely there for me, but it wasn't in the same way that my midwife or doula was. And we've talked about it since the birth. And he felt Like I was in really good hands with these women who are trained, you know, to do this and who are birth keepers and that I wanted them more than I wanted him. And in some ways that is true. Their touch felt much better in the moment. And even though Danny was really educated and fully prepared for this experience, there were some things that a first time dad just likely isn't going to get. At one point, I really wanted um, a warm washcloth to lay on my back. And Danny got the washcloth, put it under warm water, and then laid it on my back between my shoulders. (laughs) And for, you know, anyone who's been in labor or has had a natural birth or who's even just had a really painful period, you would get that that is not the part of my back I'm talking about. You know, one of the midwives whispered to him, you might want to lower it a little. And it was just so funny. Like he didn't get it, but how could I have expected him to get it? you know? Um, so I'm super curious how this will play out in future births, but just as an observation, you know, as I had played with the idea of having an unassisted birth at some point now looking at this, I am just so grateful. I had these wise women there because I really did want and need them. And I don't think I could have ever, Like, I think that the visual I had of what Danny would be like would in labor was maybe unrealistic. And so, yeah, just an interesting observation. So at some point while I was on the bed, I had been pushing for probably about two or so hours. And my midwife asked if I wanted her to check to make sure all of the cervix was gone, you know, making sure I didn't have a cervical lip. I said, yes. And this was my first cervical check during labor that I'd had. And I hadn't been sure if I wanted them at all, but it felt really right in this moment. And she checked and I did not have a cervical lip and the baby was moving down. I will say cervical checks and labor are not fun, at least for me. And I can't imagine having several of them. And I'm so grateful that that was the only one that I had. And at some point I got in the birth tub again And this is where I remember starting to make some pretty crazy sounds during contractions. And I, it's on the video as well, like sounds that I had only ever heard on the animal planet literally roaring. I'd seen videos of women, you know, countless videos of women who are quietly breathing their baby out, but this was so not what I needed. The roaring really helped me and it felt productive, but I was really loud. There were also a few moments here where my head started to creep out of labor land you know, wondering how long has it been? What time is it? Is he still posterior? Is that why it's taking so much longer than I expected, you know, in terms of the pushing phase. And I'm so grateful for my midwives, not really answering my question. It's like, I would ask what time is it? And they'd be like, why do you want to know? (laughs) And, um, Yeah. They just kind of, you know, didn't really answer and assured me it was okay. And I think at one point Geneva said to me, let us be the midwives, which was super helpful because as someone who is very interested in and works peripherally in the birth space, I was letting my head creep in, but it wasn't serving me. And this is skipping ahead a little bit, but when he was born, the sun was rising. And I remember someone saying that, and being shocked that the sun could be coming up. And, you know, once I got that reminder that I was safe to be in labor land and like, let them be the midwives, I was able to fully go inwards and do what I needed to do. So I have no idea how frequently the surges were coming at this point. I remember, you know, feeling like usually I was getting a pretty good break in between the contractions though. Every once in a while feeling, like I wasn't ready for the next one. And like, it would come a little bit before I was ready after every surge, my doula would hold this cup up with a straw for me to drink water in. So I was staying super hydrated. I remember feeling just so thirsty. Um, something I'm also reflecting on in thinking about the birth that was so special was just how other than the sound of my roars and the music in the background, And the water in the tub and the occasional, you're doing a great job, how quiet it was. We were just sitting in the space and it was truly the definition of space holding or what a birth keeper is supposed to hold in terms of space in my opinion. And it was so holy to be in my bedroom with the lights dimmed, my music playing, hearing, you know, the sounds of the water as I moved around and being able to go inward and really connect with and talk with my baby. Like how many times had I spoken with him from my bathtub, from my bedroom, from the shower. And it just felt like a continuation of that. I kept telling him he was doing such a great job and that we were such a great team. That was one of the affirmations that I had written and that I could see up on the wall that my baby and I make a great team. And at one point, a few hours before my midwife, um, you know, when she had first got there within the first hour or so, she named that she felt I was not fully surrendering to the contractions. And and I was aware of this and I decided to try using my affirmations to support me leaning into the contractions more. And so I remember with each contraction at, at this point, as I was getting closer, grunting and yelling out, I choose this. I want this. I choose this. I want this over and over. And I think it really helped me reminding myself that this is exactly what I wanted, that I was choosing this. It wasn't happening to me. I was choosing, you know, how I wanted to birth. I was choosing that I wanted to have this baby. I was choosing like I was in control here. Um, and it really allowed me to lean more into it. And um, also the song that came on right before he was born, which is also the last song on my playlist is I release control. And it's kind of like a yoga song. That's, you know, just like I release control, something like that. And I remember feeling like it was so appropriate. i actually, unfortunately don't know what song he was playing right when he was born, because On Spotify, when the playlist ends, it just starts playing similar songs. So I don't know what it was, but it just felt so appropriate because I really was trying to, as much as I said, you know, with with the I choose this, I want this, that I was in control. It was more that like I had put myself in this situation and that this wasn't happening to me, it was happening for me and that I was choosing to go through this experience um, and then surrendering the controlling of that experience and just like leaning into it more was really, really powerful. And so at about three and a half hours into the pushing, we started to get glimpses of his head as it was crowning. And up until this point, I really hadn't felt anything in my vagina, which feels really crazy to say, but it had mostly been pressure on my butt. And now I was feeling it a little bit more in my vaginal canal. And over the next 20, 20- 25 minutes or so, we played peekaboo and saw a little bit more, a little bit more. And you know, I remember asking my midwife, you know, to show me with her hands how much of his head we were seeing, asking if he had hair. Um, and I remember also thinking at one point that we must be really close. I was almost the way I could describe it is like a little bit in like a psychedelic state at this point. Um, but I remember looking at Cena putting her stethoscope on and thinking, okay, we must be really close if she's getting the stethoscope ready. And then I remember I was kind of laying in this like laid back legs, wide Eagle propped against the side of the tub position. And after this really big contraction with several pushes, his head stayed out a portion, you know, a portion of his head stayed out after the surges were over, not his full head, probably like about, you know, a third or something of his head stayed out. It didn't go back in after playing peekaboo. And this position that I was in that had felt right for a while, just did not feel right anymore. And I said out loud, I want to move and change positions, but I don't feel like I can. I think I felt like if I moved, he might retract and go back in. And I, you know, Geneva asked me like what position I wanted to go in and it assured me that I could move in any way that I wanted to. And so I sat up and transitioned to my hands and knees. Well, kind of like leaning over the side of the tub, but on my knees, literally feeling like there was a bowling ball in between my legs. Like I remember being like, oh my God, this is crazy. And on the next contraction I was pushing and I had this moment where I realized I could push, but pull away at the end, like I had been doing with several of my contractions and possibly keep doing this for a while longer, or I could dig into the depths of all the power I knew that was possible for me to push with and be done. And so I did. You know, right before this contraction, I remember saying, talking to him and I can hear it on the video too. And saying to him, you know, we're so close, baby. I'm so excited to meet you. And, you know, I really dug into the depths of what was possible for me to push. And on this last push, his full head and entire body just shot out of me into Danny and Geneva's hands. At some point during this surge, Geneva had called Danny to bring his hands down to catch the baby, but it happened so fast that both of them caught him. And the amount of immediate relief I felt was so wild, like so much intensity and burning to just nothing in a second. And then I realized that meant my baby was born and I could already hear him crying. And the next thing I know he's being passed under, you know, past me under my leg and onto my chest. My husband's face is right next to mine and the baby's he's crying both of them are crying. And it hit me. I did it. I did it. And I looked down at this perfect angel in my arms, feeling how soft his skin was and rubbing his little amount of vernix in and smelling his head and telling him that I had waited my whole life to meet him and thanking him for making me a mommy crying and looking around the room saying I did it. And just feeling so proud of myself, so proud of my son and just the happiest I'd ever felt in my entire life. And Cena checked his heartbeat while he was laying on me and he was perfect. And yeah, he was born at 5.18 AM on May 31st in the bedroom that his dad and I, and he, our son still share. He did come out away meaning he had turned at some point in labor. So he was not born sunny side up or posterior. And it's possible that that's why my labor pattern was presenting. So irregularly is that his, and his head was a little coned, but it also had this, like almost like a shelf in the back, which my midwife said was probably from entering the pelvis posterior and then turning. And my brilliant baby just knew exactly how he was supposed to be born. And so, yeah, I decided I wanted to stay in the tub. So we actually had to pump more air into it because it had been slowly leaking air from one side. So that was kind of funny. And then I just cuddled with Ohai for probably about 30 minutes in the tub. And at that point I was kind of ready to get out of the water. And so someone helped me up onto the bed, still holding him. I birthed the placenta on the bed and This is, I have to say, some of my least favorite parts of the whole experience. For some reason, the afterbirth contractions, which were lasted for me for a few days, every time I nursed, were really, really uncomfortable. You know, the placenta birthing contractions were really uncomfortable. The pressing on my stomach to make sure the uterus contracted properly felt more uncomfortable even than labor in some ways. I'm not a hundred percent sure why. Maybe because it just felt less productive. Like I just wanted to cuddle with OHI and suddenly I'm having labor contractions again. And I, you know, was like, I wanted to be done with this. Um, I think at some point here, OHI latched for the first time. I remember it feeling really good. And even looking at my phone while he was doing it for a few minutes, probably sending a message to my family that he was born and my doula making a joke that I was doing it like a pro already one handed and on my phone, I will say breastfeeding was, has been a journey for us. Um, and I'll share more about that in a future episode, but I, I do think that being able to latch that quickly did help our breastfeeding journey a lot as I write this six weeks out. He still has never had a bottle has gained weight, like a champ. Um, so I mean, yeah, I think that was really helpful for our journey, having that in uninterrupted. And after the placenta was out, at some point, my midwives drew me a bath in my bathtub with herbs, and that was really heavenly. And they brought the baby to me, and we bathed together. At one point, it was just me and Geneva in the bathroom while I was in the herbal bath. And I remember having this special moment where this woman who knew my fears and my hopes about this birth, and I got to celebrate it going even better than I could have imagined. You know, she knew that I had prepared myself to have a really long labor. And we just smiled at how really it had only been 10 hours altogether. It was still so shocking to me. Like I had given birth before the time that we had set for me to do a castor oil brew in case active labor hadn't even started. So my doula, At this point, made some scrambled eggs with avocado and fed it to me while I was in the bath, as well as I had put in my birth preferences that I wanted a warm, warm chocolate chip cookies and milk after my birth. So those were in the oven. And after I got out of the bath, I was eating these cookies. We have a video of me saying, you know, that they were just better than an orgasm, just such a yummy bite. Like after having this huge experience, getting warm cookies and milk was just heaven um, I do remember having a really hard time peeing. I had drank a lot of water, but I couldn't pee, and I was trying to do it in the bath and not ha- not being able to. And later, you know, I sat on the toilet and used the Perry bottle to try and stimulate the peeing with Cena, uh, that my the sister, my wife for this birth. Although, I mean, she's birth. She's been attended the birth of of lots of lots of babies. So I feel weird calling her the assistant. I don't think she's the assistant, but the the second midwife is, I guess the right word for me to use being, you know, sitting with me while I was on the toilet, trying to pee. And that was really helpful. And finally it happened. And then we weighed the baby and he was eight pounds on the dot. We measured him, which was 20 and he was 22 and three fourths. Inches, which is like over 95% for length. And Sina, who has been a midwife for decades, was like 22 and three quarter inches. Like, what? Which was kind of funny. And my midwife did a newborn exam and showed us how to check his vitals. She checked me. I did tear. And so she stitched me up. It didn't hurt while she was stitching me up, but I still think I was a little bit in shock. Um, still and was just bummed that I tore. And so I didn't really enjoy that part, even though she did a really great job. She also told me I had some pretty extensive bruising and swelling. And then the midwives cleaned up, tucked us in, sang us a beautiful, beautiful song, and told us to call if we needed anything, but that otherwise Geneva would be back tomorrow to check on us. This was around 10 a.m., five hours after Ojai was born. And then There were three, our family together alone for the first time. And I probably had a hundred moments during that 14 hour period from when my water broke to when Ojai was born, where I was so glad I was birthing at home. And I still think the best one was when we were tucked into bed and the silence when everyone left. And we just got to cuddle in peace with no machines, no nurses coming in, no hospital beds trying to squeeze into, no smells of cleaning solutions or fluorescent lights, you know, no need to get in the car to put clothes on any of us, just my bed, my food, our naked bodies, and no need to go anywhere or do anything but settle in. And I'm just so grateful for that moment. I do want to make an interesting note that when I told people after the birth that I pushed for four hours, the response was like, Whoa, that's a long time. But really it's not, you know, one, it would be a long time for me to be laying on my back, having someone holding my legs up and telling me to hold my breath and push every five minutes. But that's not what was happening. Not at all. This was me and my baby dancing, figuring out, the best way to bring him down on his and my time. This was us patiently letting nature do its thing. And two, a lot more women would likely push for four plus hours. If the hospitals didn't have a policy to not let them push for more than three hours, you know, my baby was never in danger. We were checking him with a Doppler and having a long pushing phase doesn't mean anything is wrong. So often, you know, the label of failure to progress is thrown out there, but it doesn't mean anything is wrong necessarily. And so maybe I've pushed for four hours because he needed to turn so that he could come out in a way that worked for both of us. Maybe it was because I was a first time mom with a tight pelvic floor. Maybe that's just how long it took for my baby to come down. And that was Ohi's birth. Such a redemptive birth for me. I had grown up hearing how traumatic my birth was for my mom. And from a young age, I knew I wanted to give birth at home. And while I a hundred percent knew it was possible and I was capable of it, you never know if there will be something that comes up that changes the plan. And while nothing ever goes according to plan, sometimes they can go better. And this is truly an experience that felt that way to me. And I'm I'm so grateful that I prepared so much mentally, physically, emotionally, and I'm also so grateful for Ohi being wise about his birth. I'm so grateful for my body showing up for us so well. And I'm also really grateful to God and the universe for, you know, really supporting this experience for us. I feel grateful for it truly every day. And I hope this story serves anyone who's listening to it. If it served you, consider sending it to your sister, a friend, any woman in your life who maybe would benefit. I deeply believe birth should be sacred. I know a huge part of my journey into this birth was listening to other birth stories. I listened to them daily in the months leading up to this experience. And, you know, I think that, that it heals to listen to them. So I hope this helps you. I hope you share it. And also, if you if it does serve you, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts so we can reach more women. And this is also the greatest gift you can give me as a podcast host. So thank you so much. I'd love to hear if anything resonates with you in your birth story. And thank you for listening to How Ohai Came Into This World. Lots of love. Until next week on Wisdom of the Womb.